Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Power of Privilege and Allyship podcast. My name is Funke Abimbola, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Austin Bronte Consultancy. The consultancy's main aim is to improve leadership by leveraging the impact of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity across the business world. I'm recording this special bonus episode on Mothering Sunday, ahead of the official launch of the main podcast series on the 1st of April. And I'm doing this because of the overwhelming week that we've just had, starting with International Women's Day on the 8th of March. I am particularly concerned about the impact of these events on young people, something that seems to have been completely overlooked in social media and in mainstream media. Today, I'm delighted to be having a discussion with my 18-year-old son, Max Abimbola, about the way that young people have been affected by this week's events. Max, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Max, can you introduce yourself to our audience, first of all, and, and tell us a bit more about you? Hi, my name is Max Abimbola. I am a year 13 student currently studying math, chemistry and computer science. Uh, and I currently got a place to study computer science at university. And I'm an aspiring software engineer. Thank you, Max. So let's get right into it. And I'll set the scene because I don't think in years to come, we'll, we'll quite believe quite how much could have happened in one week. Mm. So so setting the scene and starting with International Women's Day on Monday, uh, this year's theme was Choose to Challenge. That evening, of course, we then had Oprah Winfrey's interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, which raised some really, really concerning themes around racism, mental health, the implications of not fitting the mould, family values. I mean, on and on and on and on. We then had the reaction uh, to the interview uh, on all sides, really. You know, some really complicated, uh, nuanced reactions there. Then we had Piers Morgan's reaction to being challenged by Alex Beresford on Good Morning Britain. And uh, for those who are not aware, he actually stormed off the set and ultimately resigned. So he's no longer part of that show. Throughout all this week, we've been waiting for updates about... Sarah Everard, who's a young lady, for those listening from from abroad or outside the UK, Sarah Everard went missing a a week and a bit ago. And we've all been waiting to find out, hoping that she's, you know, she was still alive. We found out that she'd been murdered. So that's all unravelling. Protests were organised in London. Uh, A court hearing was needed to see whether or not they could be COVID compliant. Um, the police are are filmed and videoed as having arrested uh, some young women at the protests yesterday, and that's playing out in the media. But aside from all of that, on Monday, you went back to school, Max, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is why I think it's so important to be talking to, to, to a young person. I appreciate that Max won't represent all young people, um, but you went back to school after several months of online learning. Uh, during lockdown, and you've got very important A-levels. And so what was the mood like when you got to school on on Monday, or or certainly as this has been unravelling? Was there any awareness that these issues were going on at all? Of course. I mean, people don't generally, I mean, I didn't really spend much time in the the main room because we have, I mean, even got exams next week. So you've given me more, even more context in terms of what's going on, on top of all this stuff going on in the news. Um, so I wasn't really, you know, around for like lunch times and break times. But I know in lessons, there was a lot of talk about different issues, especially the Meghan Markle interview, people's views on that, etc. Um, 
it was just a bit tense, really. And it's more on social media that people really came out because, you know, everybody's more confident on social media, right? So, you know, you saw people's, you know, real views, people trying to speak out uh, for and against certain issues. Um, and then going back to school, knowing the people who have said those things, that became tense. So it was just very, you know, not the best environment, to be honest. Um, so this weekend was definitely needed. But, you know, it just reflects what's going on. A lot has happened this week. So it was just um, what I'd expect, really. With Meghan Markle, what were the sorts of discussions that you were having at school around that? It was mainly, well, of course, I mean, we mainly get our information from the internet now. Uh, news like news outlets, all that kind of stuff. And there's a mass of misinformation and, you know, tabloids, false articles, all of that. And if you aren't, particularly researching into a certain topic, you will easily be misled. And that's what I felt happened to quite a few people. I mean, a few people saying, or they were just doing that to get money or et cetera, et cetera, not understanding that. In fact, going onto a a talk show, like talking about these issues and essentially talking ill of the monarchy is an extremely dangerous thing to do. I mean, I can't see them coming back into the royal family very easily after this. I mean, um, Prince William is expressed his outrage and i'm sure they're all of them were apparently outraged about this kind of thing um so i feel like that's what people fail to understand is that nobody would just do this for money if they wanted to make a quick buck they wouldn't do it this way like this isn't something people take lightly so you know that was the main kind of conversation we're having about it yeah so you're right it's a very very risky thing to be doing if it's for attention and commercial fame Mm. And you've touched on a point around burning your bridges. Mm. You know, you're not going to be doing that unless you really feel that you need to get your point of view um, across. Were you shocked by some of the things that they said, Max, during that interview? Not necessarily shocked because, I mean, it's the same kinds of people. They aren't really well informed, to be fair to them. They weren't saying horrible things. It was just clearly they were misinformed. And I, you know, I tried to explain to them and they were, oh, yeah, I understand. But, you know, fortunately, I haven't had any people actively expressing their, you know, not hatred, dislike for what Meghan and Harry did, um, which is good because, you know, that would be a <laughs> a more serious discussion and mm. a lot more difficult to have. Um, but, you know, these people are mainly my friends, so to speak. Mm. Mm. And what about some of the themes that came out of the, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's interview itself? There, there were some very strong allegations made about racism, certainly there was one comment, um, and we, you know, we sort of were taking that now as meaning wider racism in in the approach. What 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 were your views on that, and and then other people that you were talking to at school? Uh, I feel like it's very difficult because I go to a predominantly white school, so at times it's very difficult for them to see how a comment such as the one made by some member of the royal family would be inappropriate because they don't see necessarily the issue. That's not their lived experience, Um, having to be asked these questions, these stupid questions, and often like questions with underlying motives that you don't, you can, you kind of kind of see, but you know, they, there's serious malicious intent in them. It's, it's very interesting, isn't it? That particular comment, because what I saw about it was the context was very, very important. Mm -hmm. And I was really struggling to find a context within the royal family Mm where it would have been appropriate to say something like Absolutely. that. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and as you know, I'm a massive fan of the royal family. I mm. mean, I've met, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to have been awarded a Queen's Honour and I met Prince Charles and I've met him twice and had conversations with him. And so for me, I'm actually struggling a little bit to imagine that someone who 
I see has done so much for young people through the Prince's Trust and does a lot of other work and, and you know, exercises his privilege uh, mm. to help others the way I see it. Mm. It's very hard to then be hearing this. And I was really trying to trying to find a way around what was staring me in the face mm. almost, that actually there's no context within which it could, this could have been said mm. that could be anything other than a form of racism. Mm. What about what was said about mental health, Max? So, I mean, what did what were your views on that when you were talking to your friends as well? I mean, this one especially struck a chord because, I mean, I feel like our generation, especially, are massive, you know, advocates for, you know, being just being aware of mental health issues. I mean, there are still we've still got a long way to go, but you know, there are lots of people who struggle with their mental health. So the way um, Piers Morgan completely denied the existence of any mental health issues that Meghan might have had was really kind of damning. And I feel that that's really what, you know, might have put like gave, like a lot of pressure on him and all the, you know, um, things on Twitter and the social. And that's why people were finding complaints to Ofcom because to deny somebody's lived experience like that and deny the exit, like, you know, it just perpetuates this idea that people who are struggling with mental health are just lying about it, that, they're not really struggling. They're just lazy, X, Y, you know, that kind of thing. And that's an extremely damaging thing to do because that's why people don't speak up. And that's why these issues get worse and worse and will lead to suicide. And then people will be like, oh, why didn't they come to us? It's just an endless cycle like that. So in order to break the cycle, we just need to seriously actually take people seriously when they say they have these issues instead of immediately dismissing them. Because that just defer, like just come, like it just makes people not want to come forward. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I was very, very concerned about that. I, I felt, again, we're having to take it at face value, the, the context and how it was said. But mm. at no point did I dismiss the fact that she was very, very um, vulnerable, mm. reached out for help. It wasn't forthcoming because of this approach of having to keep up a stiff upper lip. I mean, mm. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but... It just, I thought that was just so unhelpful mm. and damaging. And, and you're absolutely right that the stigma will continue mm. unless we at least acknowledge these issues instead of dismissing them. You've talked about lived experience a few times already, Max. Mm. And and that's one of the things that is so, so, so challenging when it comes to conversations about racism. Mm. What, what I've observed, and I'd really appreciate your thoughts on this, is there's been so much debate about whether or not there's any aspect of this that's down to race, mm. instead of actually let's listen to that mm. and accept that, mm. however uncomfortable that is mm. from all angles, but what can we do to address it? So has that been a topic of much conversation with you and your friends? It's not really that. It's more so, I feel like the only reason people get defensive about these kinds of things is it's a, it's a clear indicator of the fact that they've done, them, done it themselves. Nobody wants to demonize themselves and think themselves as, you know, wrong or that they're doing the wrong thing or anything like that so yeah i feel like it's we, people need to listen more on both sides on, on the argument absolutely because i mean when people stop listening and start just talking there's it's not a discussion you're just arguing or you're not, not even arguing because at least an argument gets you somewhere it's just kind of a screaming match where you're nobody's people are trying to get their points across but nobody's actually listening to each other and no progress is made and both sides are made more angry and it's more polarizing when yeah. really we need to work together to fix every social issue. Because in every issue, there are the perpetrators of the issue and the people that are being oppressed. So how can one side be the only person that, the only people that are actually pushing towards change? You need both sides in order to push change. It's just 
it's just how it works really and it's how it's always worked so yeah definitely i mean the need for collaboration mm. built on understanding that that's absolutely spot on the, the other thing i just wanted to talk to you and we will move on to the other things that happened last <laughs> week there are just so many things yeah. that happened last week the implications of not fitting the mold so if we can say that an element of the way that Meghan Markle was treated is down to race but aside from that another big part of it was that she just didn't fit the mold you know she's an outsider coming into the family i just wondered if anyone had picked up on that at school or do, were you just too bogged down with trying to get get into being back at school again yeah i mean the only yeah i mean that kind of that's a bit deeper than um anybody really got into <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, we're all just kind of focused on work, but sure. specifically it was around, you know, the interview and what was said and how that might have affected the monarchy and how that affected the monarchy in the future and the views of the monarchy. So yeah, that was the main thing that we talked about. And what were the views of the monarchy? I'd be really intrigued to hear that. I feel like it's definitely checked because, you know, there's always this this joke that um, oh, our parents love Diana. We all, they love like, you know, parents love Diana more than anybody, you know, um, and obviously the royal wedding. I mean, you were extremely excited for William, William and Kate. And I same was. Meghan and Harry. Um, so, you know, but I don't personally, and I think it's the same for my friends, I don't necessarily feel that same excitement. It's just it's just the part of life, I guess. It's just, they, they just exist. They do do like fantastic things for charity. And of course, my mom got to meet um, Prince Charles and was honoured by the Queen. Um, so that's very important. I like that the things they do. But outside of that, I mean, I'm not I'm not praising anyone. And I don't know that neither is anybody else. Like in my in my generation, I don't think. We um we more want to get a bit more transparency with what, you know, the negative things that happen. And I feel like that's come with social media, especially, and being able to share information a lot more easily. So, you know, mm. that was the main thing. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, I think I don't represent everyone in my generation by any stretch, but you're right. You know, I think that that probably would be fairly reflective of a lot of young people is that what is the fuss about almost mm. uh, with, with the, the monarchy? You know, you're looking at different things as being more relevant now. Mm. And um, you you wouldn't have been alive when Diana was mm. alive. You know, you wouldn't have appreciated the impact that she had. And no, I completely get that. A lot of what came up last week or still technically this week, because it's Sunday today that we're recording this, um, is arguments around freedom of speech. Mm. So Piers Morgan, his justification for for saying what he said and standing by it uh, around his views on Meghan Markle specifically this week was that, you know, freedom of speech is important and, and all of that. What, what's your view on that, though, Max? I, I, I mean, the funny thing is, it's just there's a clear difference between freedom of speech and hate speech. Fundamentally, what Piers Morgan was doing and has been doing for, I mean, months or even the past year with Meghan Markle is hate speech. He's just been slandering her for whatever she does. Um, it's never been a good word and it's been consistent. Very, you know, similar to bullying. So, you know, I feel like as soon as freedom of speech turns into hate speech, that's when it becomes an issue. But then that's, that's a very gray area because if you're on the other side of Piers Morgan, like I am, um, anything he says that goes against your point may seem like hate speech because he's attacking your ideals. He's like he's like going against your you know way of thinking, which is where the kind of issues come with what's freedom of speech and what isn't. People fighting for freedom, you know that kind of thing. Um, so you know, I feel like we need to have more conversations about what actually is freedom of speech and what is hate speech and drawing a fine line between the two because it can't just be what doesn't fit your agenda. It has to be 
you know, objective in that kind of sense. So, you know. Mm. And he certainly has a certain style of of journalism, doesn't he, Mm. where it is to almost inflame and and get reactions out of people. And and not all journalists are like that, of course. Mm. Um, You know, some have a very, very different approach. Uh, And you're right to to, to point to the need to be more constructive, I suppose, really, Mm. in how we have these very, very sensitive discussions and and I suppose with Piers Morgan it's very clear there's a personal angle mm, with Megan which has also added to the whole thing um so yeah absolutely I, I guess around freedom of speech you know the respect element you can't lose that mm. in expressing that freedom mm. either um and it comes it comes with a responsibility um that goes with that when you have a platform such as his I mean you're influencing thousands of people um, tens of thousands, like the entire country, even. It's Good Morning Britain, <laughs> you know? That's mm-hmm. a national um, TV show. So, you know, I feel like he, at times, hasn't really uh, exercised his power very well and very responsibly. So, you know. But then, at times, the more, you know, shouty, you know, not letting people speak response was very good. Like when he was talking to um, certain members of the government uh, about the way they were treating, you know, uh, whether the relief putting people back into schools and that kind of thing. That was very good to see. Um, just to see, you know, him expressing everybody's anger. So there are two there are two sides to it, really. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I, I certainly think he did an exceptional job there. Holding mm. government to account mm. around the pandemic was was truly, truly exceptional. Mm. In a way that I didn't see other journalists mm. doing it actually. So you're right, mm. you know, to see both sides. Mm. Well, it'll be very interesting to see where he ends up next. I'm sure he already has the next role uh, lined up, but it'll be very, very interesting to see. And also to see if he maybe slightly changes his Mm. approach. Who knows um, if he's reflecting now on everything that's happened. Or if it was. (laughs) Oh, let's hope not, Max. (laughs) But like you, I I don't want to see polarization Mm -hmm. around these issues. You know, let's try and build better, uh, better understanding. So the theme of these podcasts, it's all about privilege and allyship. And privilege has come up a lot uh, in this past week. I mean, not just privilege around um, race in certain contexts, but also having class privilege and gender privilege. And, and this is where, you know, we, we do need to talk about very, very distressing about Sarah Everard and, and all the issues that's brought out about violence against women and lots of examples being given by women about being harassed in different ways and how you're not safe and so on. Did that come up at all in your discussions this week? Did it come up? At school? Didn't come up enough. Um, it, honest, that was by far the most, you know, that's all you saw. I think it was on um, Friday that the news came out that they found her... Um, Sarah Everard's remains. Yes. And that's when social media really blew up. Everybody's Instagram, you know, stories, all of that. And, you know, it's extremely upsetting. Extremely upsetting and extremely... It's more upsetting, actually, how little some men are willing either... So, you okay, you got, I feel like you've got two types of guys, right? Or three types of guys. You've got the ones that try and listen, which I like to think is me, and tries to fight for the cause. There are those that say nothing... And there are those that actively speak against it and say that this is an issue. You're just blowing these numbers out of proportion, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it was just extremely, extremely upsetting and just like disheartening to see so many guys like saying these things about how women react to these kinds and how this like these aren't issues and, you know, just blowing it up like this doesn't happen. You have mothers, you have sisters, you have, you know, people like that are near and dear to you that are women. Half of the population are women. 
these are people that you love and you're denying their lived experience completely. And I just found that so upsetting, really. And just like how they've been led down that path somehow, you know. So yeah, that, I mean, that conversation has been going on a lot. I actually had to take myself off of social media this on Friday because I couldn't deal with it anymore, really. Just the constant, you know, just, I mean, I've started like six conversations with like random people I probably have to get back to um, because they're probably going to argue with me. It's it's very, very interesting, isn't it? Where, you know, with, with racism and with sexism, again, lived experience is being played down, mm. denied. It's not that bad. When are we going to get to a point where, why can't we just accept that that was someone's lived experience mm. and look at actually addressing the issue? Mm. I mean, why do you think in the case of the, the sexism side, mm. Why do you think that mainly men, but I've seen a few comments from women as well, mm. get so defensive about this and try to sort of play it down? It's so clear because I've even, I mean, I always talk about these kinds of issues. It's not just now that I've spoken up about it on my on my Instagram or anything like that. So when I've posted stuff and then guys have responded like, oh, you're one of those, or oh, the feminist has got you, you know, that kind of thing. These are the same people that have a number of stories about the way that they treat girls in a very, you know, consent gray area Uh, i won't go into details because it's Mm. really horrible but some of these girls i know quite well so you know and i can tell it's clearly because they have this really kind of not romanticized romanticized is the wrong word they have this strange view of what sexual assault is they think it's grabbing a woman off the street at dark like you know doing all kinds of violent things and then that's what sexual assault is but what they fail to realize is the majority of assaults are you know like kind of groping, that kind of discussed, like, you know, catcalling, which is like extremely, like happens all the time. Um, yes, that's absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's there's a wide range of things that, that would constitute sexual assault, aren't there, Max? Mm. So it's not just grabbing someone off the street in the dark. And, and I like that we've made it really clear that young men do have a choice about how they choose to show up for women in their lives. Mm. And I must say, as your mother, I'm also very proud that you're firmly in the listening <laughs> allyship and advocacy category, fighting for the cause, and that you're educating young men around these issues. Mm. Now, moving on, because our time is almost up, I definitely get the sense that a lot of young people are feeling a lack of control over recent events and the disruption caused by the pandemic. Uh, and then at the same time, many of you are coming of age, of mm. course, and becoming adults and turning into 18 and unable to vote in future elections. So what do you have to say about voting in young people, Max? I think 100% it's time to really, you know, put our money where our mouth is. We've talked a lot about lowering voting age. That hasn't really happened yet. But now that we are coming to voting age, it's time to really put these ideas that we have and all these um, views into action and vote, you know, whoever out and whoever else in. I'm not going to you know, name any names, but still... You know, I think it's so important that we do this because that's what drives real change and that you will see that. And I think everybody needs to remember how current government treated us during this um, lockdown period and use that as a drive to you know, push you to the polls, really. So very, very clear message there that, you know, for young people feeling disempowered, exercising your right to vote mm-hmm. is so, so, so important. Mm-hmm. Well, Max, thank you very much for sparing the time to have this discussion. Absolutely. Uh, I know you have mocks starting this week, uh, so good luck with all the studying. <laughs> thank you. I'm sure that everything will go well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and with that, I'll say goodbye for now. Do keep an eye out for the launch episode of this podcast series on the 1st of April. I've interviewed eight exceptional leaders who've all used their privilege 
to become impactful allies in very, very different ways. And there'll be new episodes uh, published every week. But until then, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.